Hey everyone, thanks for joining me on the Bravo Dog Knowledge Podcast. I'm Renee Erdman, Certified Dog Trainer and Behavior Consultant, and I own bravodog.ca. Today we're going to be talking about leash reactivity and what it looks like, different types, and what we can do. So what does leash reactivity look like? It can range from barking and lunging to growling and snapping. It can also mean dogs freezing and stopping or laying down um, or trying to escape even. So it really depends on the dog and what's going on. I can tell you that it's a large portion of the clients that I see. They are dealing with this and it's, it's very obviously upsetting for them and frustrating. And they want it to change, which I can understand. And I've I personally had a dog that suffered from leash reactivity as well. And, and while we have it, thankfully, uh, at a point where it's manageable, it's definitely something that takes some work. And you want to make sure that you're treating it the right way. So it can look different for different dogs, but uh, it's it's definitely not ideal and it, it causes a lot of uh, a lot of issues for people and for dogs. We can categorize leash reactivity into two types of uh, categories. So uh, it can be one of these that I'm going to talk about or it could be a combination of the two because it's never just black and white but I'll tell you how you can determine which one it is for the most part. It can either be frustration, the dog is excited uh, or simply wants to, to gain access to the stimulus, maybe it's a dog, maybe it's a person, and they are restrained by a leash. Uh, or it could be fear, reactivity or aggression, so obviously the animal is fearful of that item. They may uh, want it to go away or they may want to gain access to it to tell it to go away, right? So. How do we know which one it is, especially with a dog that maybe you have just adopted, have just brought into your life, and you're seeing these uh, right away, or maybe it's develop, developed over time? The best way for us to deter- determine, for the most part, is it frustration or is it fear aggression, is an off-leash play history. So for a dog that can socialize off-leash and for the most part is social, meaning they actually choose to interact with other dogs in a in a pro-social way versus completely avoiding, then we know, okay, there's a really good chance that, that this dog that is displaying these reactivity issues on leash when they see other dogs is frustrated, wants access to that dog um, we can see this with dogs that have maybe never been on a leash before. Maybe they're coming from a an environment where they've run free their entire life or a good portion of their life. Or maybe this is just a dog that spends the majority of their time with their owners at, at owner at dog parks or uh, has a constant stream of social activity with other dogs in a daycare setting. Maybe they're going there five days a week, um, which is not necessarily a good thing, right? You have to think balance. We want an even amount of on-leash and off-leash um, time and interactions. So if you don't have that off-leash play history, again, maybe you've adopted this dog recently, then can we 
test this dog can to find out how they are with other dogs. Um, and you really do want to make sure that you do this in a safe manner. So a lot of times that means muzzle training your dog with a basket muzzle with a, a training plan and maybe working with a trainer. You can always send me an email, by the way, hello at bravodog.ca if you'd like resources for muzzle training. Um, and you'll want a bomb-proof demo dog to test uh, test your dog with. So you really do need to, and, and dog-dog greetings too, you've got to be careful with those. So I really would suggest that you work with a force-free um, behavior consultant that knows what they're doing when it comes to testing dogs, okay? Let's talk about what what do we do when how do we treat reactivity once we know which which one it is is it frustration or is it fear aggression well I, I'm going to start with giving you, you some advice about how to not treat it because you can make it much worse um, and we can have side effects of using certain techniques and equipment so if you treat re leash reactivity incorrectly by using what's called corrections, which are also known as things like leash jerks using a shock collar or an e-collar uh, or a prong, that type of thing. If you use those techniques, which is considered punishment and sometimes negative reinforcement to stop reactive behavior, what you're really doing is you're just suppressing you're just suppressing the behavior that's a result of an emotion. So if it's frustration, we can see this easily turn into aggression through changing this frustrated excitement um, into something negative because we're doing something unpleasant to the dog. The dog doesn't know that what they're doing is not socially acceptable and it's not okay and it's, it's upsetting to everyone they're just excited to see that other dog and they want access. So, you know, you add something like a jerk to the collar, um, you know, verbal correction, shock, that type of thing. It's going to affect the emotion. That's what you've, you've always got to consider that. So you may not be physically, I mean, here's the thing. You have to understand how these these types of things work in terms of equipment that it has to hurt enough for the dog to stop doing what they're doing. It's not going to tickle, right? So even if in your mind you feel like, oh, well, it's not really hurting the dog. Well, first of all, it is. Um, and second of all, it's not just the physical aspect. You have to think about the emotions. So now you've got a dog that may have been social off leash and now has the potential to bite or react because they've got now we've 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 changed the association from uh the dog being excited to now being uh having a bad association with the dog because every time they see it and they get shocked or jerked or or corrected okay so this can also be the case for a dog that's excited and frustrated and wants to meet people you know you can you can do the same amount of harm and then we've got a dog that might be biting or become aggressive towards people okay so you know 
consider that if you're using any any of these types of, of, of equipment, even to reduce pulling, you have to remember that you may have a dog that doesn't pull anymore, but you might end up with a dog that becomes aggressive. And that's something that's very difficult to change. So always look at the long the long term goal and, and what could actually happen in the future. So you've got to be careful. And try not to be short-sighted about these things and, and impatient with your dog. You also have to consider that if you have a dog that is fearful and they're showing behavior that, uh, you know, aggression most of the time comes from the emotion of fear. So the dog's not angry, they're fearful. So you you want to shut that down right away by by using some sort of equipment or method that stops the behavior is again very short-sighted because you're compounding that negative association that the, the animal already has with the stimulus. So it's really damaging to be using these techniques. Again, I hate to keep you know beating the drum, but I think it's it's human nature to want to stop things that we don't like, but you know when you're dealing with sentient creatures and you if you were dealing dealing with people, it would be the same thing. You know, you you may not want a child crying, but you're not going to get angry at them. Well, some some people do get angry, you know, you might chastise your child for crying stop crying it's not okay but again your kid might stop crying but they're still going to be fearful or upset of, of about what's going on and it's the same thing for animals so you've got to be really really careful with how you treat these things um, and I've seen a lot of cases get much much worse before they get to me and then I'm trying to undo you know years of of damage and I would hate for that to happen with you as well so let's talk a bit about fear aggression uh, on leash, which we would want to use straight up counter conditioning, which is also known as classical counter conditioning. We want to change a negative association to a positive association. You can do that over time by using really high value reinforcers or food. And I, I, I sort of hesitate when I say reinforcer because we're not reinforcing a behavior, actually. We're, we're just trying to change an association. So I don't say reward either because we're not rewarding a behavior. Desensitization should be used in conjunction with the counter conditioning. So desensitization means that we're exposing the dog to a stimulus at a level that yields zero reactions. So they're not showing any kind of body language that they're uncomfortable, stressed, anxious, or fearful. Then we add in the counter conditioning. So you should be executing what we call DSCC because we're trying to, again, address that fear. Threshold is something that you really need to pay attention to because we wanna make sure that the dog is able to see a stimulus that that they're fearful of and for them to be responsive to the counter conditioning we're not necessarily directing them to do anything and most of the time i don't at all i just execute straight counter conditioning as much as possible and we definitely don't want them reacting because once an animal is reacted the stress hormones in the system can spike quite 
quite quickly and it doesn't those stress hormones don't come down right away we don't really have any data in animals as far as i know in terms of how long those stress hormones stay elevated in the system but we do know that when they are elevated the animal is going to be more reactive moving forward for the next 24 to 48 hours let's say so we call that trigger stacking. So, you know, you may see this if you, you take a walk with your dog, um, and this can apply to fear or, uh, or frustration reactivity. Your dog reacts once, then the next time they see that stimulus, they re- react again, or they may see something even, even the less, um, like some, some sort of stimulus that they would not normally react to or would in at a lower level, you see them have a, a huge outburst and it just gets worse from there. So your walk just basically goes down the toilet. We call that trigger stacking. So back to making sure that your dog's under threshold, that's going to be really important because you want to make sure that you have a successful training session. Um, you know, I, I often recommend if your dog has a huge outburst, then you end your walk. You know, you, you don't, you're not trying to end on a high note because you probably can't. The animal's not, not able to do that. They've been pushed to their limit. They've had an outburst or a reaction. And then you're in damage control. And damage control is not training. So if your dog has reacted and then you're feeding them, you're not rewarding bad behavior, but you know, you're sort of trying to soften the blow a bit, trying to make them feel better, which I can understand, but there's no real learning happening. I usually suggest that outside of your regular walks where you really do, you're going to need to be training out of necessity to prevent reactions um, and put things into place to prevent those reactions, so avoidance and and distance, is you need to set up small sessions where you can control the environment. So that may mean putting your dog in the car, finding an area where you can see another dog or the stimulus they react towards, and that you can execute uh, this marking and giving food, which is what I, I suggest for counter conditioning and, and the what we call DSCC. I'm going to go over a a small sort of training plan idea for somebody who has a dog that's reactive on leash, but they don't know if it's fear and they don't know if it's frustration or they feel that sometimes it's it could be a bit of both. Okay, so I really, really like this. Um, and again, you can email me. My, my email address is hello at bravodog.ca. This engage, disengage uh, training plan. And there's two parts to it. So the end result is that you end up having a dog that when they do see a trigger, they look to you and they don't end up reacting because of the association of all this good stuff that we've we've put into place. The nice thing is, is one, we have end up having a dog doing something different than reacting. And then number two, the side effect of using the food in the, this training plan is counter conditioning. So it basically covers both bases. And I really like this. There's a there's a fantastic little graphic um, that's available as well. And it, it, Lily Chin, I believe uh, she illustrated this, but uh, it's, it's, it's excellent. So here's how you would put this into place. Again, you need to set up at at a real distance and, and make sure you've got a controlled environment. But 
number one, make sure that you've got the best food possible. Um, making sure that you've prepared your food ahead of time that and not directly before you're you're going to to execute your training because if your dog catches wind that you are preparing food to start training you've you've already tipped them off that you know maybe dogs are going to be around or we're going to start training and we really don't want that in this process you'll also if you're using a training pouch wear that around the house and don't train with it reach for food don't deliver food you're executing what we call um, extinction trials so this food this equipment doesn't mean anything it doesn't mean food is going to come out of it okay so make sure that you have spent some time doing that and continue doing that while you're training with your dog so once you get to your location and you can determine that you can see triggers from a distance and your dog will be under threshold, you want to make sure ahead of time that you have conditioned a marker word or a clicker if that's what you're using. Okay. So doing some simple behaviors with your dog, you know, sit down, stay, hand targeting, all those things and marking and reinforcing those behaviors with food will condition your dog to understand either the word yes means food is going to happen or click means food is going to happen. Okay. So you need to do that ahead of time. I also like to work on a let's go cue that includes a bit of pressure on the harness that you're using. And I really like the freedom harness where we're using the front attachment of that piece of equipment. There's no Ideally, this is a really well-fit harness to your dog so that they're not experiencing any kind of pain or discomfort because that will make things probably not better, okay? If you are using a head collar, ideally you have spent a lot of time conditioning that this is a good thing and it's positive and that you're not putting pressure on that that head collar because you've got to be careful with that piece of equipment because you can injure their neck. So when you're training a let's go, you should always start with a verbal cue of let's go, getting really excited, moving away with your dog. Um, If they follow, you're going to mark and then reinforce that behavior. I all, as mentioned, I include with the, the harness, putting a bit of pressure on the harness so that it's not a negative Ideally, we're not using any pressure on the equipment. However, I think the, re- the, the reality of it is, is that the average person will put pressure on it with their leash. They'll do a bit of pulling. And so I'd rather condition that to mean a positive thing. And we'll do that with the use of the food. Okay. So you'll need to practice that inside with no distractions, outside with no distractions, outside with distractions, but not the triggers present. And then, of course, when you need it, when there are triggers present, if you need it, then we've done the work. Okay. So the other thing to keep in mind is that if you are working on this issue, you have to be prepared to respond the same way every single time your dog sees that trigger. So we call that a one-to-one ratio. Every dog means we do X. Okay. So If you don't, um, even if you think, oh, well, Fluffy across the street, my dog plays with that dog, there's no problem. It doesn't matter. It's dogs are always trying to connect the dots and, and look for patterns. So if you're not consistent, you're not going to have a consistent response. 
A big part of your training plan should include avoidance and prevention of reactions from happening. Always think that the more that your dog practices or engages in the behavior that you are trying to change, the harder time you're going to have changing that. So that should always be, you should always be on high alert to make sure as much as possible that you're preventing reactions from happening. That often means changing what you're doing as, as the human, right? So that means not putting them in certain situations, doing your best to avoid busy times when you're taking them for walks, um, and that type of thing. And, and it might even mean preventing them from reacting inside the house at things going on outside. So you have to think about that as well. Let's talk a little bit about food. Food is a huge part of whether or not you'll be successful with your counter conditioning or what we call a differential reinforcement of an incompatible behavior, um, which is this engage. Uh, and we'll talk about the disengage por- portion as well. So the food that you use, I wouldn't mess around. I would be using the best food possible. We would carry out those extinction trials with the treat pouch and pr- prepare the food uh, at completely random times and have it ready to go so it doesn't signify training. Novelty is huge for animals and you will see that your dog responds much better when you're using a very high value novel food that they've never had before and you'll want to rotate what food you're using. So using the same food over and over or using food that you are using for other things in training, this is not a wow factor for an animal. So you're not going to change that association that the dog has if it's fear aggression very easily if you're using something that they've had before or that is boring or they don't deem to be very high value. So keep that in mind and bring more than you need. That's that's another thing. Bring more than you need and think about food delivery. So I recommend putting food on the ground, tossing it on the ground after you have marked for the dog seeing another dog. And that's really what you're going to be doing in these small sessions is marking consistently when your dog sees another dog dropping food on the ground, using your let's go cue, preventing reactions from happening. What you'll have happening over time is your dog hopefully is going to be looking at dogs and then disengaging because you've brought this reactivity down quite a bit. We've hopefully started the process of changing, you know, triggers from being negative to at least neutral. And I often recommend that you don't allow your dog to stare for longer than three seconds. So if you're looking at pushing to disengagement now, then if your dog's not looking away from the trigger within three seconds, then they're probably not under threshold and they're probably too close. So you'd need to use your let's go cue, move them further away, and then try again. Again, ideally, at some point, your dog is able to look at triggers and then look away and there are no reactions. The For the dogs that are frustrated, another part of your plan should be, okay, well, do is my dog getting too much access to other dogs off leash? Do I need to pull back on that a little bit and really start looking at um, more leash walks and... Or are, are they not getting enough access to other dogs? So those are parameters that we can look at too. For a dog that is social with other dogs and is frustrated on leash, are they getting too much access off leash or not enough? 
So that will be part of your plan as well as integrating either more or less access. And again, this is for a dog that is pro-social, is not fear reactive. Arguments once in a while are normal with dogs. So, you know, no dog is going to have a, a, a completely clean record. Um, we'll never say never, but most dogs are going to have an argument here or there. Okay, so again, food matters. Um, and then when we're pushing to our disengage, is the dog ready for that? How how are things looking? And and don't rush things. This is a long process. I have to say that most people want to see results, of course, quickly, but you won't. Um, for some dogs, it's six months. For some dogs, it's a year. And as the humans, as as humans, we are very, um, you know, we're used to things happening really quickly at the a push of a button, right? But dogs aren't robots. They are, you know, living, breathing creatures. And we don't know what's going on inside of them for the most part. So we got to be really careful about how we treat reactivity. I hope that some of these tips um, and this sort of layout of a plan makes sense to you. It's not me. It's not perfect me sort of explaining this over a podcast. I think that, you know, for the majority of people, they need coaching. They need somebody to see these small details that they can make changes upon. And timing, timing is huge. You know, you've got to make sure that you've got really good timing and that you're consistent and you're not adding fuel to the fire. You're not making it worse. Um, so lots to think about. I'm thankful that you joined me today on the podcast talking about leash reactivity and hopefully this helps you in some way if you are working on it and we'll see you on our next episode. Thanks.